0: Hello, and welcome to Boston Private Perspectives. I'm Shannon Sakosha, Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private, and I want to thank you first for joining us. As I thought about what I wanted to talk about today, I was reminded of a conversation I had a few weeks back with several institutional investors around the topic of a very prominent hedge fund manager's recent SPAC. And the outcry from investors in the SPAC when he had the nerve to buy a media company spinoff rather than something cooler like they had anticipated. I've been thinking a lot about that conversation since then, and many others I've had over the course of the first half of this year. SPACs, short squeezes, crypto. For every conversation I have had about inflation or jobs or stock market valuations, I've had at least two about these quote-unquote new areas of the market. So I've been thinking about what the questions really should be for investors when entering into new territory in their portfolio, and I think they can be summarized by these three things. What are you buying? Why are you buying it? And how long do you want to hold it for? The second of these, on the face, is the easiest to answer. Investors buy things to make money on them that's the driving force of both long-term investing as well as speculation. We as humans are looking for the upside of all scenarios, and it's difficult at times when it seems like there is easy money to be made to move away from that easy money and and try to find things that perhaps are harder. In addition, several of these areas such as some of the stocks that have been caught up in Um, the Reddit, Wall Street Bets, Short Squeeze Mania, and, you know, frankly, crypto as well, have experienced significant gains over the course of the last six to nine months, which have made them very attractive for those that perhaps are looking for something above and beyond what are expected to be rather muted returns over the next several years in traditional stocks and bonds. So again, Buying things to make money on them, that's why you're buying it. The important thing, though, is that you need to think about how long you want to hold it for, because that does play into how much money you will make and the potential for you to make a bad decision uh, and not necessarily deliver the gains to your portfolio that you would otherwise. Investing historically wasn't identified with a lifestyle decision or a personality trait, except maybe for junk bond traders, which are, you know, the stuff of movies. Today, however, this whole holding period for stocks, this holding period for cryptocurrency, this holding period for digital assets in general, it is all tied up in what feels at times to be a mania. And instead of taking a more I guess you could call it pedestrian approach to thinking about the gains that you have earned in a particular investment, or right sizing it as a part of your portfolio. It's seen as a positive to hold on to these assets for an extended period of time as an expression of your conviction um, in these new parts of the market. The challenge with this is that. For every person that's holding a particular investment, let's take a SPAC for instance. There are a lot of institutional investors who are in early into SPACs and they actually get out of them either just prior to the deal being announced for the acquisition of the asset that goes into a SPAC or perhaps even earlier than that after there has been significant additional interest, whether from other institutions or smaller institutions or retail investors into that SPAC, they lock in those gains well before that SPAC is being publicly traded. And a broader set of investors has the opportunity to really look at that. And so that holding period is critical to garnering the highest level of possible gains for these institutional investors. And so it's not necessarily that there's anything wrong with something, you know, being held for the long term. I mean, I have stocks in my portfolio that I've had for, you know, a decade. Um, They're still good companies. Uh, And so therefore, it makes sense for me to continue to hold them in my portfolio. But it doesn't mean that I'm holding them because selling them would indicate that I have lower conviction or that I have lost my edge or that I am not making good decisions in the first place. Portfolio construction is a crucial piece of what institutional investors do over time. Sizing and right sizing and resizing positions when they've appreciated, potentially when they've gone down, you can add to them if you feel like your investment thesis is still intact. And so, again, this view that in some way selling a security either after it's appreciated or even after it's gone down, if, if the thesis has changed, is a, is a show of weakness, is certainly something that appears to be more prevalent over the course of the last several months than it was historically. Um, and so I think when you're investing in anything, it's really important to understand what is the time horizon over which you expect to hold the investment. What are the metrics? What are the guideposts that will force you to reevaluate whether you should still hold that investment? And how are you going to manage if there are sharp increases or decreases in the value of that investment? In the moment, it's really hard to make a good decision. So, providing some structure and thinking about it in terms of the overall portfolio, setting those parameters up front can certainly help to navigate even the most volatile of stocks, like we've seen over the last couple of weeks. We've seen several stocks that have moved, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40% in a given day. Now, that's challenging to manage, but provided that you've set these parameters for the length of time and, you know, the potential gain in that investment or the loss that you're willing to sustain in that investment, and if it falls beyond those parameters, it forces you into action, well, then the time horizon you know, is appropriate for you. Um, but defining that time horizon is incredibly important because it allows you to become less emotional. And that's, you know, that's why we set time horizons the way we do for the things that we buy in our portfolios, for the way that we structure our portfolios. We're thinking about it from a long-term perspective. And therefore, we're less likely to react to these small short-term moves or large short-term moves in some cases because we have that long-term viewpoint. So you know that why you're buying it is to make money. um, And you know that it's important to set your holding period for that, or, you know, the the time period over which you're going to gauge whether that investment was successful or unsuccessful. So it actually leads me back to the first question, what are you buying? And I've ordered the three questions this way because I think that this is the level of priority that many investors are applying to their decision-making this year. And it makes sense. We're in this period of incredibly easy monetary policy. We've experienced significant fiscal stimulus. The savings rate overall um, in the United States has has grown exponentially over the last year. Um, So it just feels like there's additional money, liquidity in the market that, you know, certainly seems to have allowed for greater speculation in different areas of the market. But it's important that whether you're looking at um, something like Bitcoin or you're looking at Procter & Gamble stock, Or perhaps you're looking at some of the SPACs that have been listed over the last year or so that you could potentially have significant upside should they invest in a a company that represents a really great opportunity to go public. Understanding exactly what you're buying is really important. Last week, there was a flurry of um, interest in Wendy's stock, for instance and it was surmised that this was, you know, yet another example of some of the widely shorted stocks that um have been short squeezed and produced significant gains for investors over the course of the last, you know, 6 6 months or so. Um namely, you know, the biggest two have been GameStop and AMC. The issue was is that there wasn't a lot of short interest in Wendy's. So the thesis and you know this this narrative around how these trades have been successful, um, in that there has been significant short covering as the prices have increased. The thesis didn't bear out, and so there was this flurry of activity, and then all of a sudden, you know, the stock sold off again because essentially that narrative was inconsistent um, with you know what has been successful of the last few months. But again. If you're just looking at the face of that and you're not doing that that sort of even just first level of of fundamental research of what is it that I'm buying um it could be it's very easy to get caught up in this um, enthusiasm for some of these you know potential big wins at the heart of all of this, there's a difference between speculation and investment, and it's not necessarily. And negative that there's become this increased engagement of investors over the course of the last, you know, year or so, um, really beginning sort of mid year, last year, coming out of the pandemic, uh, in investing, learning more about the markets, getting engaged in the markets, um, and utilizing the the bevy of tools that allow for uh, much wider and broader participation. Particularly in the equity market, then you, certainly than five or five years ago, and definitely than you know ten or fifteen years ago. But it does go back to understanding what you know, what your own, what you own, and why you own it. Um, that famous hedge fund manager bought what he felt was a good investment with the proceeds raised in his spax. And it's important to remember that the markets don't owe anyone anything, and Despite the best efforts of regulatory authorities, there are still bad actors out there. But Bill Ackman isn't one of them. The investors who were upset about his decision took a chance on a big payday and wanted to see something exciting on the other end of that check. Maybe it will be a home run uh, and maybe it won't. But with every investment comes risk and taking the time to understand what those risks are and perhaps choosing to avoid those risks altogether. Is just as important as seeking opportunities to make money. So there may be things that um, we're not going to incorporate into portfolios for our clients because they don't meet those characteristics of, of what we feel is appropriate for us to be investing in. But this idea of understanding what you're buying, why you're buying it, and how long do you want to hold it for, with the emphasis really being on that first question what are you buying setting parameters around the the next two things why are you buying it and what is the determined predetermined successful outcome and how long do you want to hold it for meaning how long are you going to wait to see if that outcome actually occurs if you stick to that i'm not saying that you won't make mistakes or missteps cuz everyone does in investing but it should create a better experience as an investor, and importantly, a foundation upon which you can grow and learn in your investment decision making. Thanks again for listening to this week's podcast. I want to encourage all of you to reach out to our team here at Boston Private with any questions or concerns you may have. If you have specific questions or thoughts on my points today, you can find me on Twitter at Shannon Sakosha. You can also read our latest perspectives on the markets, the economy, taxes, estate planning, and the second half of this year by visiting BostonPrivate.com. If you want all of this information delivered right to your inbox, I encourage you to sign up for our newsletters while you're there. Be sure to subscribe to the Boston Private Perspectives on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you prefer to listen. And once again, I want to thank you for joining me.
1: The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW nor its investment professionals or representatives provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company. Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly-owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC-insured, not bank-guaranteed, and may lose value.